Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckert. We both survived the trade deadline. We are still here. Uh, we cannot say as much for our Portland Trail Blazers team as we know it. We did a, a brief little Dave and Dia daily about the CJ McCollum trade, but we definitely have a lot to talk about today. Dave, how how do you feel? I mean, I normally kind of ask you how you're doing, but like really, how do we feel about this? How are you doing? Are you coping? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this had to be done. Uh, they were going to do something. We didn't know what they were going to do or what they were going to get. Obviously, people's fondest hope was that they got talent in return that would immediately turn the team around. Well, not immediately. After they got a lottery pick this year. That didn't happen. The next pip, pip, uh, option, rather, was uh, for draft picks. And that only sort of happened. Maybe. We'll see. Asterisk. Uh, and the default that was left was cap space. They got a lot of that. So, I mean, it was the third best option, probably. So I don't think anybody's really enthused. But at least there's a new path. So, you know, it's hard to complain too much. Yeah, this was a rough one. I think when you look at our roster, and especially you take into consideration Blazers fans and how much we love our players, not only as players, but also as people, and just, you know, we get attached. And to lose in just a matter of days, CJ McCollum, Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Larry Nance Jr., Tony Snell, and Cody Zeller, I mean, we, we lost a lot of guys that really were fan favorites. Almost all of those guys are, are guys that you would hear the fans talk. Maybe not Tony Snell and Cody Zeller as much, but the rest of them are, are, have been big names with this team, whether they've been here for nine years like CJ or, you know, just a short time like Norman and Rocco and, and Larry. You know, that those are guys that we all really liked cheering for. So it's rough to watch them go. It's made a little easier with some of them, like Norman and Robert Covington, who looked awfully happy to be in Southern California. Um, it's it's a little easier when they look happy about where they're at. But man, it's it's rough. It's, it's rough to lose them all that quickly. Well, I mean, they were key players and fan favorites because there was no alternative with a lot of them. I mean, this roster was so thin that... Uh, basically anyone that they traded of any significance was going to hurt. And that actually explains part of why the talent for talent exchange probably wouldn't go real well. Because remember, they had all but a mandate to cut salary in this, at least enough to get below the luxury tax. So you could not take back more salary. And there's also a mandate to improve at some point. And if you trade those players for players that make less and are slightly less good, but still gum up your salary tax or cap, you haven't improved, right? So uh, I think the Blazers looked at that and said, there's nothing we can get back that's going to make us win significantly more. In the absence of that, we should kind of start with a clean slate and build from the ground up rather than getting slightly worse and, uh, you know, not getting any deeper, not getting any better. What's the point of making the trade to begin with then? 
Yeah, and now I, I want to acknowledge the fact that probably a lot of the people that listen to our show are are fans that maybe don't know the ins and outs of everything. I don't know the ins and outs of everything. All of this is where I start to get confused. I follow it to a degree, but it's very confusing stuff. All the cap space and the and the contracts and the amount of money and all that stuff, that's very confusing. So essentially to break it down and simplify it slightly, the, the fact is that we had a lot of guys under big contracts and it's really hard for a team to take on a big contract because that's a lot of money that you have to commit to that player. I mean, yes and no, that's true of CJ. But here's the here's the bottom line. If you want to sum it up, you need to know. Well, Norm two- was a big one too. Yeah, Norm I mean, had a pretty big contract. Yeah, but I mean, that was a longer term. It was big in aggregate, but it wasn't uh, offensive in terms of per year. Uh, yeah. And per year is what the the cap deals with. But okay. so here's the deal, though. There are two things you need to know. Number one, had to get under the luxury tax, so they had to right. shave three or four million off, no matter what they because, did. Because if they didn't, we were we have been over the luxury tax long enough that we were about to become even more taxed because yeah. we'd been over it so long. Repeat basically. offenders, and also right. with the luxury tax. And let's not belabor this because this is like the you know uh, we've talked about this before, and it's esoterica. But basically. With the luxury tax, you either pay or receive. In other words, the teams over the luxury tax have to pay all their penalties, and those penalties are divided up among all the teams that didn't go over the luxury tax as bonus revenue, right? So the Blazers not only got out of paying luxury tax, they will also get that windfall, which will help their bottom line by a few million dollars. And since they were not winning, and keep in mind they've won 22 games all season, we're 56 games in. So, I mean, there's no point in investing more dollars in this current team it's not producing so at that point the blazers were taking the savings but here's where it goes even further that's actually that's an important point but they could have done that they did that actually with the norman powell and robert covington trade that was taken care of here's the second point next year with the players that they traded out they owed almost 60 million dollars in salary to those players next year they have the potential if they pick up no guaranteed contracts and whatever the firm number is six million plus whatever they'd have to buy out josh hart for so i don't know let's say 10 million total so you went from 60 million owed next year to 10 million owed next year that's a that's an enormous enormous discount. Now, in order to do that, they're going to have to get rid of Eric Bledsoe and not guarantee his contract. They're going to have to get rid of Josh Hart and not guarantee his contract. Maybe a a couple other things, but you know, your mileage may vary on those moves. They may decide to keep Josh Hart, for instance, and add his 12 million or whatever to to the cap. But either way, they saved a huge amount of money next season, which not only makes sense in dollars and cents, but allows them to rebuild in a different way that they wouldn't have had they taken talent back and filled up that 50 or 60 million with other contracts of players that they didn't like as much. Yeah, essentially, Cronin is having to break down everything that Neil built up before he can rebuild. There was a lot that was wrong with, you know, we've we've talked about this for, for months, that the roster construction was just bad. And we weren't going to get anywhere with things the way that it was. But they also couldn't just make one or two linear trades and call it good. They're essentially having to break down the whole system before they can rebuild into something else. And this is really the time to do it because Dame's out the rest of the season. Nasir's out the rest of the season. We've already struggled through the first half of the season. 
we're not going to win a championship this year. So why not take this time to kind of do this? And I think too, an important note is we gave Neil Olshay nine years to get this team to the point where it's at. We need to give Joe Cronin more than just a couple months. We need to give him a, a chance to kind of get things together here. And I think we're seeing again, part of something that's going to be a bigger picture. Well, maybe. I mean, Cronin may do it. Someone else may do it. Who knows? But your point is apt, I think. And, well, and the other reason is if the Blazers don't make the playoffs, they get their they retain their own lottery pick this year as opposed to right. giving a first-round pick to Chicago. But the Neil Olshay thing, just to, to, to reiterate or tease it out, the Blazers had no more players to trade away without making it lateral. They had seven players and they couldn't, you know, they couldn't trade anybody else. There was nobody spare, basically. They also had very few first round draft picks left to trade that would have made any sense. They had no second round draft picks to trade, uh, period. And uh, they also had no cap space. So literally all your resources to make moves are gone. There was nothing. There was nothing to make moves with except whatever you could get for CJ. And again, you know, unless you got Ben Simmons, which obviously wasn't happening, then uh, you you were going to go lateral or worse for either a modest savings or the same amount of money. It just wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to change anything. So they're taking steps backwards now when it's opportune, as you say, in order to maybe take steps forward next year or later. Now, here's the problem with that, Dia, is that... This is every team's strategy. The Blazers didn't didn't find a magic formula that's going to lead them forward. This is literally what you do when you have to hit Control Alt Delete. Right. You know, and it, they're not in a different place than say the Orlando Magic or the Detroit Pistons or the whatever, give or take a Damian Lillard. Uh, they they have no master plan other than what all other bad teams have, and it's kind of hard for bad teams to turn it around quickly. And you ha- a lot of things have to go right. And the idea that suddenly they've hit on uh, on this way forward that's automatically going to work is is not true. They have a chance, and that's all they bought themselves trading all this talent away is a chance. Well, a chance is a chance, though, and I don't think that that's something we should, you know, wave off. That's that's a big deal because we haven't stood we haven't stood a chance for a while. We've been in this place, and and I think you know the press conference was a little bit telling of that, where where Cronin basically wasn't afraid to say, "Look, our roster hit a plateau. We weren't going to be able to get any better with the roster as it was. We needed to make changes." And we and he also pointed out specifically defense that we needed more defensively minded players. I think the fact that he's acknowledging those things and and trying to make moves in order to do those things is huge. I wanted to say one more thing about that specifically with him. There was an article written by Jason Quick that came out recently, I think yesterday. And there's this one quote that I wanted to pull from it that I think is is worth reading when it comes to this, because it's hard to dictate at this point whether these are good moves or not, why it, I think, especially for fans looking at this, you look at who walked out the door and who we got back. And it's very hard to kind of put those things in perspective. So I think this is worth saying. Uh, This is the quote. It says, there are some inside the Blazers organization who are pulling for Cronin to get the job. They are giving that endorsement because they have heard from others around the league who are in trade meetings and privy to player evaluations. Want to know why Portland got so little in return for those players who were in the starting lineup? The rest of the league didn't value them, certainly not to the level of their salary. Among the cap brainiacs and the talent evaluators around the NBA, Cronin is being celebrated. When he came on, one of the things that they talked about was the fact that he was a cap space guy and he knew his stuff. And so I am hopeful in that 
he's doing the best he can and and that this gives us you know a little bit more of a blank slate to move forward and and build because this is where we're at we can't hit undo like this is where we're at okay granted but there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors there in that you don't have to be a cap space genius to figure this out i mean as you said the blazers sent out mccollum and Covington and Nance Jr. and Norman Powell and Tony Snell and God knows who else. They took in Justin Winslow, or Justice, sorry, I apologize, Mr. Winslow. Justice Winslow f- making $4 million next year. Elijah Hughes, rookie contract. Joe Ingles, expiring contract. Keon Johnson, rookie contract. Dede Lozada, uh, rookie contract. Josh Hart, non-guaranteed contract. Eric Bledsoe, non-guaranteed contract. Justice Winslow is the only one who's owed money at above a rookie contract level in the group that they took in and retained. And he only makes $4 million. So you, you don't, a, a three-year-old playing with the cap could have done this. And I'm not saying that that uh, there may be particular reasons for the move, and there may be particular reasons to support Joe Cronin. I'm not saying that. But literally, the Blazers just traded. They spent a lot of talent to get back players with not big or enduring contracts. That's it. There's no magical mystery to it. And basically, they paid the talent to take on less money. And also, we should mention New Orleans first round draft pick and a couple of second rounders. So they paid their talent to get a modest amount of draft picks, not big draft picks, not assured draft picks, but some draft picks and a lot of cap savings. That's literally a regular NBA track transaction thing. The, the Blazers just cranked it up to 11 and did it to an extent that you don't usually see. My point just was in that, I mean, I don't know enough about Joe Cronin at this point to have an opinion one way or another. He's still very new to this. And, and as far as with this team, we haven't seen a lot from him. I think for me personally, I'll give him at least until the off season to see the full picture here before I make any kind of judgments. My point more so was, you know, Portland has a way of overvaluing its players. Portland fans have a way of overvaluing our players. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because I will be the first to say there are players who I would love to keep on the team forever that are not a good fit for the team. But my point being that I think, you know, we weren't going to trade Norman Powell to get Kevin Durant. I love Norman Powell. I think he's fantastic. I think he was a huge piece for Portland. But I think that it, it you can't always just, I, I feel sometimes like Portland fans want to go out and get, you know, LeBron James and James Harden and, and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Giannis and for, you know, next year's pick. Like we, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way. And so we've got to, we've got some things need to move around. We weren't in a place to do the things that we had hoped. And I think now we're at the point where we're going to work towards that. So not getting all those players, but, you know, making some some moves here. And I think that that's I think that this is a step in the right direction, a painful step, a, a difficult step, a confusing step, but a step in the right direction. I, I mean, it's not so much that they weren't going to get LeBron. Everybody knew that. But the point was the Blazers were in a position where they had kind of B minus to B plus CJ's an A. But you know what I mean? B minus to B, B level players to send out. And for those B-level players, they could have gotten probably B-levels players back. 
but they would have gotten no more draft picks because you're exchanging talent for talent. And they probably couldn't have gotten that much cap savings, if any, which doesn't change anything. And that's the point. It would not have, it would have been the same old song with different names on the jersey. And they're saying, we're not going to do the same old song. So you had to pay that talent. And by the way, they did send out significant talent. I mean, the Clippers were thrilled to get Powell and Covington for that price. I think New Orleans was probably thrilled to get CJ McCollum and Larry Nance Jr. for the price they gave. The Blazers got nothing near that level of talent in return. But what they did get is, as you say, a new direction. Now, you said right direction. We don't know that yet. It may be actually a direction that doesn't work at all. But as I said on one of the radio interviews I did this week, it's 100% guaranteed that the direction they were going in was not going to work at all. So you change that 100% won't work to, you know what, there's at least probably a 60 to 70% chance that this is not going to work in any discernible form over the next year or two. They're probably going to fail at this. But 70% chance of it not working is better than 100% chance of it not working. I don't want to be depressing either. There's actually probably a 90% chance this is not going to work. But even if you bought yourself that 10% and, from the franchise's point of view, saved money doing it and started your rebuild, well, I mean, that's still worth it given the position they were in. You're a lot more pessimistic about this than I am shocker. Well, I mean, it's grounded though, because literally you're not doing anything that the Timberwolves weren't doing. You're not doing anything that the Pistons aren't doing. You've got to bank on those draft picks. Go ahead. Let me, let me reword what I'm saying. Cause I feel like maybe it's, it's not coming across correctly. What you just said is essentially what I'm saying as well. I just have a different perspective on it. You couldn't trade those players and get what you would have needed to make this current team a championship contender. Correct. There was no way. So what they had to do instead was trade those players for a chance to try to build a team that can eventually be a championship contender. I keep referring to the Phoenix Suns and what they did a few years ago. You know, they changed their leadership. They got a fantastic coach. They drafted well. They developed their talent. And then they added some veteran in in Chris Paul. They did some things that made them really good. Those are things that the Blazers are in a position to start to do. It doesn't mean that they'll do it well. It doesn't mean that they'll do it right. But it means that there's a chance that they can. So I, I think the important thing that I'm trying to make clear here is, yes, we could. You're, what you said is correct. We could have traded those players. We could have traded Norman Powell and Robert Covington and CJ McCollum and gotten players that were equal to their ability. But we would have been in the same situation that we've been in for the last nine years where we've basically made lateral trades that haven't done the job we needed them to do, that haven't elevated us past the point that we need to get past. At this point, we we can run around in circles and be first round, second round, even Western Conference Finals until we're blue in the face. But if we want to try to win a championship, we have to do something different because what we've been doing hasn't been working. And this is something different. Can't even get into the second round, I mean, frankly. But yeah, let's wrap this up by saying this. We'll make it really simple. There are three vertices on the NBA trade triangle. There's talent, there's draft picks, and there's cap space. And for the reasons you and I just explained, the talent vertex was out of bounds. That was not going to work. So what could you get? Cap space uh, or draft picks. And they got a lot of cap space, some draft picks. It's perfectly normal. It's within the, the realm of possibility. It's just what they had to do. Now, let's, let's look at some of the things they could do, because you mentioned Phoenix. 
For instance, they have cap space next summer. And depending on how much they want to clear, there are a few possibilities. Obviously, we've talked about Anthony Simons and Yusuf Nurkic and what are they going to do with them. They now have the ability to uh, re-sign those players without being ridiculous. But they also have the ability to plumb a new market that they absolutely did not before, which is restricted free agents. And of course, you can't guarantee that you can get them because they're current team has the potential to match. But for instance, if the Blazers had their eye at all on DeAndre Ayton and Phoenix, right, they could make a huge offer to him that Phoenix has been like, eh, eh, I don't know, you know. Uh, and depending on how Phoenix does here and how much they value him, there's a non-zero chance that Phoenix lets him go. So the Blazers could rebuild right away that way. I mean, maybe they don't re-sign Nurkic and maybe they do go after Aiton. Who knows? Uh, they can also go for unrestricted free agents, although the market there has been pretty soft for Portland for a long time. And this is why Neil Olshay felt it necessary to overpay players. But, you know, they've they've opened up options that they did not have before this trade, for sure. There are days where I feel like I, (laughs) everybody's going to be really tired of me saying this, but we did get some good talent. And and again, you have to look at this. I feel like for this to be, for everybody to settle down and, and enjoy the season and enjoy some of these moves, instead of comparing the players that we got to the players that we let go, we need to look at each of the players that we got individually as players and what they can contribute or possibly be for us. Now, that's not to say that we're going to hold on to all of these players. I think we have to remember that this year is a wash. This year, it doesn't matter if the team matches up. It doesn't matter if the roster is constructed well. It doesn't matter if they, that stuff doesn't matter because this is not going to be the team that we have next year. You're, um, you're winning and, by losing this year is what you're doing. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're preserving that your own lottery pick. Yeah, and so give, you know, give these younger guys an opportunity to get legit NBA minutes because that will develop them faster than anything else. Give them the opportunity to learn new things and try new things and whatever. I think we're going to see that kind of stuff this year and it'll be fun if we look at it from that perspective. But we did get some talent. We got some guys that I'm personally am excited about. Josh Hart is going to be fun if we keep him. I don't know if we'll keep him, but he's the kind of guy that Portland will love. Um, I think he will very quickly, you know, if, if you watch some of my favorite GIFs, 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 do you say GIFs or GIFs? No, I'm not getting in that fight. Uh, there's a little, <laughs> the, the movie picture thingies, the, movie the, the silent, <laughs> the silent films on, oh, on, on the computer the thingies. Action photos. Right. Um, yeah, the, if you yeah, look right. at the, at, at those things of Josh Hart, some of my favorite ones of life are Josh Hart. Uh, reaction. So I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Plus, I mean, he's a good player. You know, Joe Ingles, I am going to be surprised if we ever actually fully see him playing. You know, he's out for the year because of injury. So he's not going to be playing this season anyway. And I would be surprised if we keep him past that. But another one that people will love, you know, I I think he's going to be a a favorite as well. Two that I'm really excited about personally are Keon Johnson and Elijah Hughes. Both are guys that have played time in the G League. I've shot them both in the G League. I've, you know, had conversations with them and, and gotten to watch them play regularly. And I think that they're both really good players. Keon Johnson is, is a little bit taller. He's, a uh, defensive player. He's going to be really, really good on that aspect. He's fun to watch. He's bouncy. He jumps a lot, uh, makes it look easy. Elijah Hughes. The thing I noticed about Elijah Hughes is when I was watching those games, he stood out. He seemed leaps and bounds more talented 
than some of the people he was playing around. I think he's going to be somebody that is going to possibly be a, a really an asset there. So those two I'm excited about. I'm excited to see some younger talent coming in. You know, we're seeing our younger guys that we have really developing and finding their place and, and coming into their own. You know, we're watching Anthony Simons just become a freaking star. Um, Nasir Little was doing really well before he got hurt. We're, you know, even the real young guys, Greg Brown is, has been fun to watch and, and, you know, CJ Ellaby played 43 minutes the other night. So they're getting some time. And I think it's going to be fun to get to watch these young guys really find themselves in this league. Well, if that's your idea of fun, yeah, you're in for a lot of fun this year. I mean, if we go down, we got to find the good spots, Dave. I know, but if we go down the list and let's only talk about players the Blazers have some chance of retaining. Let's not talk about Eric Bledsoe and stuff, which presumably they won't keep. But you've got Yusuf Nurkic, uh, seven years of experience, Damian Lillard, nine years of experience. Those are the obvious, you know, elder statesmen, okay? But other than that, Anthony Simons, three years. Nasir Little, two years. Uh, C.J. Ellaby, one year. Trendon Watford, rookie. Greg Brown, the third, rookie. Justice Winslow is the grandfather of the young group. He's had all of six years of experience. Elijah Hughes, one year. Uh, Keon Johnson, rookie this year. Didi Luzada, one year. And Josh Hart, four years. So, I mean, you got a lot of ones, twos, threes, fours, and R's in there, basically. Uh, and that's literally how this team has been transformed in the last week. Uh, and by the way, of the elder statesman, only Nurkic is playing right now. They're rebuilding. I mean, there's no other way around this. There's, you can put whatever name you want on it, potential or going for free agents or whatever. They just got massively younger and they went for future possibilities over current production. That's the end of the story. And any Anything else yeah. that people spin, yeah. whether it comes from the franchise or from media or whatever, that's going to have to be shown before it's talked about. Because yeah. until it's shown, they're building for the future and that's it. I'm a big fan of Justice, too. I think he's fantastic. And I think he's, I hope we keep him. I think he's going to be another one that I really enjoy. He's the only watching. guy with a guaranteed contract uh, besides Damian Lillard yeah. beyond his rookie, uh, re- you, uh, uh, who's not on a rookie contract. The rookies, don't, I mean, you can't get cheaper than rookie scale contracts. So I presume they're going to keep all those guys if they don't trade them. Yeah. But you just don't have veterans with multi-year contracts at this point on the Blazers. You, what about Ben McLemore? How many years in is he? He should be on a minimum contract. I can look at it, but I don't. He's not multi-year. So I mean, Nurkic. No, but how many years in? Like how many? Oh, years I'm sorry. Oh yeah, if you want to keep Ben McLemore, he's he's uh, eight years in now. Okay, I so. like him a lot too. He's he's quickly become one of my favorites, and I feel like very consistent. But yeah, so there's no guarantees about next year, even other than they're going to need to do something with Damian Lillard, and they probably won't let all of their talent go. Nurkic is not a sure thing. I'm almost no. positive they'll keep him. But and it, it, Nurkic is literally the next person after Dame. At this point, yes, unless they unless they literally do what I said and make a run successfully for DeAndre Ayton. That's the only kind of alternative I can think of, or someone else's restricted free agent. But Ayton matters because he's a center. I think at this point, yeah, they keep Nurkic because okay. here's the reason. If you let him walk for nothing, you no longer have his contract to trade. Now, they're not going right. to pay him $24 million or something obnoxious to get themselves in CJ Part 2. But they're, they're going to keep him if he's a reasonably priced uh, yeah. asset so that they can move him, if nothing else. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. 
hopefully we'll see Nurk really take ownership and and not be at the point where he was last season. You know, and he has been playing well and and seems to be really in and committed. Although I think he's more committed to Damian Lillard than he is to the Portland Trailblazers. But that's fair. Some some Portland Trailblazers fans are too. So <laughs> that's a fair statement. So your pie yeah. in your pie in the sky thing, Dia, is simply this. Here's what you hope for. That they do something like that. That they get lucky in the restricted free agency market with somebody they like. It doesn't have to be Aiden, but they get a good free agent, right? And then they re-sign Simons, probably re-sign Nurkic. And then their own draft pick hits big in the lottery, and New Orleans falls in the Cinderella zone where the Blazers actually get it. So you have two lottery picks, one high, a good free agent, maybe a great one if you can steal one from somebody. And you have Damian Lillard, you have Anthony Simons, you have Nasir Little, you have Yusuf Nurkic, in addition to that free agent and the two lottery picks. At that point, I mean, are they are they a championship team? No, but are they a cheaper team with maybe room for growth? Probably. Yeah, I still stay to the fact that I think at this point we are no longer at the point where we're going to win a championship with Damian Lillard in his prime. I think we're at the point now where we build this team. We hope in the next few years Dame can hold on and essentially be, again, kind of like a Chris Paul where he's later in his career and he's surrounded by young talent. And hopefully we can do that and still manage to get Dame a, a championship before he retires. At the rate that players are staying in the NBA at this point, maybe Dame can stick it out till he's about 45 <laughs> and give us like a real solid shot. <laughs> well, I mean, and there's a price tag on that now, and that's that two-year, $100 million extension, basically. So if the Blazers are... The step one is the Blazers re-up him for that much this summer. But that doesn't guarantee it, as we're seeing with Simmons and, and Harden and whatever, not that Lillard should be spoken in the same sentence as those, but it's not necessarily guaranteed that a, a superstar-level player is going to play out even their long-term contract with a given franchise. So Lillard still has the option to demand a trade after that. So... The Blazers are kind of on the hook if they want to move toward that. It's going to cost them a lot of money and for diminishing returns. So that will be that will be a serious question. I mean, how much is his value to this franchise going forward? How much is his name value? How much is the sentimental value? Can you even afford to, if you're Joe Cronin or whomever, and you're a cap guru, can you afford to spend $100 million on what ends up being sentiment by the time you spend it. I mean, it's, it's not that Lillard isn't great now. It'll probably rebound and gre be great. But when you're spending $50 million a year on a player and that player might not be your best player on the team anymore, or certainly might not be one of the top three players in the NBA, uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, and that's going to hamstring you. Can the Blazers do that is a huge question. And what happens if they don't? Thankfully, we're not at that point yet. No. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that conversation. There's a couple other things to hit on with the with the trade stuff outside of these specific trades. Um, Jeremy Grant was a name that was rumored for Portland to be going after. My understanding of that situation is that Port Portland did want him, does want him, uh, but that they were asking for fir two first-round picks, which was just too high. And so Portland decided to to wait it out. So it'll be interesting to see. He's one that I've been I've been saying Jeremy Grant since before everybody was saying Jeremy Grant. And I will I I can I have the tweets to prove it. I am a fan. I think he would be a great fit here. 
Uh, I really hope that that works out. I was kind of hoping when those talks picked up and, and I was seeing tweets about that, I got really excited. So I'm hoping that that still maybe comes to, to fruition. It could be. I mean, it would continue a trend that, and again, I don't think we should pay attention much to the players they're getting in return this year because they may be just the players who made low enough salary and had some potential. I don't think that they, they established an archetype or a way forward with these acquisitions. That said, they got players who were somewhat better defensively than what they have, but the price they pay is they got no three-point shooting. I mean, Joe Ingles was the best three-point shooter that they got by far, and he probably won't suit up for this team, uh, or not for long anyway. Uh, Jeremy Grant has had a couple isolated decent three-point shooting seasons, but not better than decent. And he's actually been not great, especially since his scoring has picked up. They've, they've got no shooting. I mean, they, they, they gave up one of the things that is the uh, prime methods of scoring and prime definers of this era. Now, maybe they're moving into the next one and bypassing that. Okay, fair enough. But you got to have a lot of talent to do that. Is Grant that talent? I don't know. Uh, I, I would not have given up two first-round picks for him either. I am confident about that. What can they get him for in the offseason? I am not sure. If it's less than that, sure, because he'd slot right in there and that'd be great. But be aware that there are holes in his game and there are things that you need to fill around him that the Blazers don't have. So just getting him is not going to be nearly enough. No, absolutely not. But I do think it's, again, a step in the right direction. So we'll see. That, that'll that be an interesting one to see play out. Some of this stuff we're not going to have answers about until this summer. Yeah, but. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'll go further than that. I'd say Jeremy Grant feels like you're next to the last move to put yourself in contention. He doesn't feel like your first move to go toward contention. Uh, so I don't know. I, you know, I'm I'm iffy about it. I, I, I like what he does as a player. I'm not bagging on him. But in Portland situation, I'm more measured than you. Yeah, that's almost always true. <laughs> um, another big trade that actually doesn't have a lot to do with the Blazers, but it, it we've been talking about it for months, is Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons finally got moved. He was traded with uh, James Harden. So James Harden goes to the 76ers and Ben Simmons goes to the Brooklyn Nets. I don't love this for Portland, but I love this for Ben Simmons. I'm glad to see him go. I'm glad to see him end up out of the situation he was in and in a situation that hopefully he will flourish in. James Harden, uh, look, uh, James Harden is a fantastic basketball player, one of the best to have played in the NBA. I do not argue with that fact. But James Harden, to me, is a little bit of a problem. You've got a guy that has a ginormous contract, and he continually asks his way out of wherever he's at. And, and if I am a team taking on James or thinking about taking on James Harden, my concern here is, am I going to take on this big contract and then he's not going to want to stay and I'm not going to be able to move it and I'm just going to lose my assets here? Because it, it just seems to be like clockwork where, you know, he's asked out of the last several places he's been. So is there going to be a place where James Harden is happy? Or is there is this just going to continually be an issue where he bounces from team to team and they have to try to figure out a way to salvage, you know, that that trade and, and get some kind of asset back for his contract? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Philadelphia is making a move to win a championship this year. And from their point of view, they traded away nothing for James Harden. So yeah. 
that was good. And certainly, I think, far more realistic than some of the rumors that had them just jump dumping him to Portland. I get it. It would have happened in the same vein that they would just sign Harden. But I think this is a straight up is a better move for them. Fine. We can stop talking about Ben Simmons now for now. And if he doesn't work out in Brooklyn, uh, you probably won't want him. So, I mean, that that issue is dead, I think. Uh, would have been a good fit. Didn't work out. You know, the next question, of course, is that how is Brooklyn going to come for Damian Lillard? That's that's what this amounts to, is that they're going to, you know, then if they don't win it this year, next thing they're going to do is say Kyrie has to go. Who's the best point guard available across the NBA that we can have a chance at getting? Now, I don't think the Blazers would actually give them a chance at getting that unless no. they, you know, okay, five first round draft picks and none of them can be lottery protected and all of them have to be after your guys get old. But, I, you know, that's not even really possible by rule. So I, I don't see that happening, but you can bet that this is the next, uh, the next thing that's going to come up is the Dame and Ben Simmons re- or union, but going the other direction. That would be, oh, Dave, I don't want to think about that. Maybe Brooklyn just wins this year and we don't have to have this conversation. (laughs) It's not going to be us, so who do we want it to be? Anything else you want to talk about with the trades? There's a couple other things we can talk about, but they're not trade-related. Was there anything else that that we've missed? No, I don't think so, other than, you know, Winslow's been doing well with a little bit of freedom and nothing at stake and some playing time. And so, you know, he was tantalizing. I'm not, I wouldn't bet on him. But I think that that's an interesting get. Everybody else you kind of have to see in action. I mean, Hart, I think, has a proven track record. Again, reiterating, here's the shock. Here's the bonus. No more salary cap issues. Here's the shock. No more three-point shooting and no more veteran experience. And it's like it's like being thrown in the ocean or being swept by a wave into the ocean. You're just trying to breathe and stay afloat right now and then figure out how you can plot a path to shore or your next place. So moving on from the trades, I'm sure there's going to continually be things that come up here and there for a little while. But moving on from that, there was a couple other things that, to touch on real quick before we end. One was an interview that came out with Gary Trent Sr., Gary Trent Jr.'s father. He did an interview um, with, I believe it was a Toronto-based radio um, show, and talked about the fact that Gary Trent Jr. was so pressed, essentially, in Portland and that a large part of that came because of Portland's front office. Um, It's heartbreaking to hear that. I'm glad that, especially hearing things like that, I'm glad in light of that, that, you know, Olshay was was fired and and hopefully now that has calmed down. But that's heartbreaking. You know, a, a player like Gary who was, you know, fans still miss and want to come back, um, who had roots in Portland, whose father played for the team. It's, it's, and, and just was a, you know, a, a likable guy. People really liked him and he was a good player. And you're seeing that we're seeing him flourish now in, in Toronto. Um, so that's, that's too bad. It's, it makes me sad to hear that. I'm glad he's in a place where, where he's doing well, but that was, that was, that was a blow to hear that come out. Yeah. I mean, I think it's not entirely surprising, but also part of it was that the Blazers obviously didn't believe that Trent was going to be a starter and was going to be that guy, even though they arranged to get him after the draft. I mean, he was their pick, basically. So there was kind of a dichotomy there. Uh, Like, they tend to support the players that they go after, 
But I think that once you were on the wrong side of that Blazers regime, you were you didn't matter. So yeah. I can see it. And and uh, highlight something that you often say: a, these players are people, and approach and mental health and exhaustion and emotional whatever is real. Now, people say, well, they're athletes, they're on top of the world, they're making millions of dollars. All that is true. But it doesn't matter how much you're making if your workplace is hell and you dread going in there and you feel like you're being oppressed or bullied or whatever it is, the paycheck you know, over time doesn't end up making up for that. And we see that over and over again. Uh, hopefully the culture in Portland will change. Certainly, uh, I'm happy that Gary Trent Jr. is happier in Toronto. And, uh, you know, let's not repeat that kind of thing. I think that's a really important point to consistently reiterate is the saying money doesn't buy happiness. It also doesn't buy mental health. You know, you can't just because you have money doesn't mean that all your problems are solved. In fact, oftentimes people that have money find that the, I mean, there are studies that talk about this, that it actually can be that, that some of the people that have the most money are the unhappiest people. Yes. These people are, are living essentially a dream and they are playing in the NBA and they're making millions of dollars and and that's great. But at the end of the day, Again, they're human beings who have real feelings and and who can also struggle with their mental health. You know, this is a a thing that's going around right now with Ben Simmons as well. When people say they're struggling, you need to believe that and you need to to be accepting of that. And I think, you know, people are critical. I, I can't imagine being in the limelight all the time where and especially when you have guys that are at the top of the game who are well recognizable they're you know they're obviously going to run into fans and things in public and they're dealing with that they're dealing with scrutiny over their life decisions over their the way that they play over every little thing is being scrutinized and i cannot imagine the toll that that takes on your mental health you you would have to be in a solid place to to be able to deal with that so when you're struggling when these guys struggle and then on top of that they're in a workplace that becomes toxic essentially none of us would want to be in a workplace that was toxic just because you're playing basketball and making millions of dollars doesn't mean that you want to be in a place that's toxic or that you can be it it still takes a toll even if you you know are, are an nba player yeah and and we're not talking about a coach getting on you or something like that we're talking about no. the environment i mean that's expected i think every athlete grows up with some level of that yeah. and is able to take right. criticism hopefully but here's what you can do and then we'll move on from this but do some algebra you have the millions of dollars and all the perks and the athletics equals job Okay, that's their job. To them, that's a job. It's a dream job. It's an amazing job, but it's a job. Okay, so anything that you can substitute in for job also can go on that side of the equation, including you know toxic workplace, including all you know depression or not fitting or whatever. And those are just as valid. And one side of the equation still equals the other, even when that left side says millions of dollars. It's just for them their job. So, yeah, uh, you know, let's, I think Portland, part of it, you know, again, the former regime, the executive was hired in part because he supposedly had a rapport with players. And you know what? By and large, that turned out not to be true. 
both in who was attracted here and the experience people had here. So if you want to create a, a welcoming free agent destination, uh, part of it might be to have the best franchise in basketball when it comes to that kind of camaraderie. And I think the players had it maybe in the locker room. They appeared to anyway somewhat, although there were rumors of glitches in the matrix here and there. But it certainly was not true over the organization. And the Blazers as a small market probably need to fix that. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm glad to see that he's, you know, flourishing where he's at, even though I think I'll always miss Gary on the Blazers. <laughs> we have a, a matter we need to discuss, Dave. We made a bet on our last full podcast. Do you remember this? Is this ringing a bell? Uh, I don't know. Trade week, you know, so many things happen. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure that I... Were we hoping that this would just get swept under the rug and forgot about? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not sure exactly, you know... Um, <laughs> A uh, 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 bet, yeah. <laughs> so if you missed our last full episode, I, I believe it was the last full episode, uh, we were talking about the All-Star Game and, and whether or not Dame would be named to it, uh, to the reserves. I anticipated that he would not due to the fact that he hasn't played much this season because of injury and that he had kind of a slow start. Dave said that he thought that they would honorarily essentially name him knowing that he wouldn't be able to play and then, you know, name someone else. Uh, I was right. So that was fun. <laughs> I love the way you put that. I mean, it's just simple. <laughs> I was right. You were <laughs> That's wrong. All. That's all. I just, I just, I, I prefer to just say I was right. I, you know, we don't need to point out the the fact that you were wrong. I, I was right. Yeah, I, mean, me. I mean, it's implied. The shadow of that is like, there's no, here, it's like a smack across the face. I was right. Bam. <laughs> yes, dear. You were right. So. As usual. I win. Yeah. Um, I win. You know. <laughs> That's even worse. I was right. I win. End of story. What did you know, I promise to do? I promised to eat like Dia for a week. I mean, it's it's really not that bad. I don't eat that bad, Dave. Oh, depending on your point of view. So here's what you got to do between now and uh, next Tuesday uh, is get me a list of, I don't even list need recipes because I know this is like, you There's know, American no cheese slice on yeah. Wonder Bread. Um, <laughs> Ew, <laughs> no, the, I don't like American cheese or Wonder Bread. Or SpaghettiOs in the middle of it. Um, so yes, I'm ready for my school lunch week in your, <laughs> in your name. You got to tell me uh, what kind of things I can choose from. Okay. All right. With, with no spices and no sushi and no, no stuff. I'm, I like spices. Spice. Yeah, but if to you, is ketchup a spice? Like no, garlic. I like garlic. I love garlic. Oh well, there's a stretch. Well, at least I can eat. I'll just eat. I'll spend the week eating garlic bread. <laughs> um, and the last thing, I, I don't even, frankly, with the week that we've had, I don't even want to talk about the losses. But we do have to talk about the fact that we beat the lake after all of these trades. And losing and with, to Oklahoma City twice. And losing to Oklahoma with LeBron and Anthony Davis healthy. We beat the Lakers and it was glorious. I am not one to gloat, um, especially even though I live in Los Angeles. A lot of my friends and even family are Laker fans. Uh, you know, there's Lakers Twitter. I really do try not to gloat. I, I rarely say much when we win. It's never pointed at Lakers fans, but man, I couldn't help it with this one. This was, this was just, especially after all the Dame to the Lakers talk, this was, this was sweet revenge, Dave. It was, it was, it was fantastic. 
He's not going to Lakers. He's going to the Nets. But the, the best part about yes. that, the best part about that, is that it sent the entire city uh, of Los Angeles into the fetal position. I mean, just like, ah, yes. ah, what happened? Ah, it just caused them a crisis of conscience and, and confidence that was just profound. And it's like, yeah, I, I care about the win less than I care about that. <laughs> like, yeah. cry me a river, Lakers. That's awesome. Yes, <sighs> you got beat by the G League Blazers. It oh, is- don't say that. Yes. No. Well, I mean, because the G League Blazers are credible. Guess what? G League matters, yo. Uh, So, like, yeah, but that's what the Lakers would have called them, right? And it's like, guess what? Can still play basketball. Guess what? Still giving out energy. Guess what? Still had some cohesion. And that was probably more than you guys showed on the floor. So, neener, neener. Yeah, take it. I, I tweeted at one point, if the Blazers don't do anything else this season, they single-handedly broke the Lakers. And that is just a fantastic feeling. But it was honestly, like, it was uh, one of my favorite parts of that game was watching Trendon Watford guard LeBron James. Just, I mean, watching these guys just step up, you you could see that they wanted it. And from what I've heard, the Moda Center was loud. Josh Hart tweeted about that. You know, it was his first night in, in the Moda Center as a trailblazer. And even though he wasn't playing, he said it was quite a it was quite a scene. I, I heard a lot of that. So I actually went to Buffalo Wild Wings and that night we were sitting there watching the game and it was empty. And it was funny because on my way, I one actually one of the girls that I met through Twitter, uh, her name is Brittany, she works there. And so I I texted her and said, Is it full? Like, is it packed? Are we gonna be able to sit? And she was like, It's empty. And so we had Josh, who produces our show, was there as well. And we had this whole conversation about how, you know, it wouldn't be like this in Portland. Portland, they you knew that they were watching this game and they're out and enjoying it and how Laker fans just have kind of given up on their team, even though we are probably in a, in a position to do that even more. So there's something really special about Blazer fans where they just don't give up. And I love that. I love that about this community. I love that in the midst of breaking down our entire team and rebuilding with a team that I didn't, I saw a picture of all the new Blazers put together and I didn't even realize it was the Blazers at first. So we're at that stage and still the fans are just holding on and finding something to hope in and packing out the Moda Center when they play the Lakers. And that makes me happy and proud to be a Blazer fan, even in the midst of whatever the heck this is. Well, and it's the only win you want all year. You, you, you're okay with the Blazers losing all the rest, moving up in that lottery. But yeah. if, it's, if it's the Lakers, win that game. Just you win. win that game. You, yeah, you, you won the season. And I know it's cheap. It's Bush League. It's, you know, it's, it's small town. I get it. Don't care. Neener, neener. Ha <laughs> ha. Magic Johnson, tweet, tweet all night about how yeah. sad you are. Like, yeah. it's, it, I'm okay with but- that. It's hilarious. My favorite tweet of the night was somebody retweeting Magic Johnson's tweets and saying, we even broke the 1980s Lakers. Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. 
Yeah, I know. Oh. So, yeah, that's a way to end on a high note. Uh, we will be back in a few days. We'll be back on our usual spot. We delayed until after the trade deadline for this podcast. So for uh, Dia Miller, wait, Dia, you're still here, right? I don't have like Francine Snodgrass or something like that. I haven't we didn't, been traded. We didn't trade you. Okay, good. I made it through. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so for, for the Dia Miller, uh, I am uh, Dave Deckard, and we will see you again soon. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent. <laughs>